Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to World Weekly. I'm Gideon Rachman. The summer breaks over and Europe's return to the biggest migration and refugee crisis it's faced arguably since the Second World War. Germany alone expects to take around 800,000 refugees claiming asylum this year. Joining me to discuss the crisis are on the line from Berlin our correspondent Jeevan Vazagar and here in the studio Europe editor Tony Barber. Tony, can I start with you? The war in Syria, which is driving a lot of the refugees, has been going on for four years and more now. Why has it suddenly reached a peak in terms of refugees arriving in Europe this summer? To be honest, I think that a number of European policymakers at national level have been uh, turning a blind eye to the ever-rising scale of this problem. You mentioned the Syrian civil war started in 2011, but one year before that, I remember talking to officials at the EU border control agency Frontex and to various experts at the European Commission in Brussels in 2010 this was and they all said that they anticipated a rising tide of asylum seekers and economic uh, refugees from sub-Saharan Africa and other parts of the world and it was going to present an almighty problem for the EU. Now that was five years ago before the civil war in Syria. The scale of the problem has increased because of that civil war and because of unrest that's developed in other parts of the world around the EU's borders. One thinks of Ukraine, one thinks of the Horn of Africa. And then there has also been increasing pressure from countries that are actually candidate members to join the EU in the Balkans. Now, these are not places suffering from civil unrest or deprivation of human rights in any serious way. That really is economically inspired attempts at migration, and that has coincided with all these other pressures. But to suggest that this has all taken everybody by surprise, I really think ignores the fact that people did know this was coming and building up over years. Yeah, Jeevan, I mean, obviously the numbers that Germany in particular is having to cope with have shot up. I mean, I think last year they had 250,000 or so asylum applications. This year they're talking about... 800,000. And the Germans seem to have taken, by the standards of the other countries in the EU, an unusually generous attitude. Could you explain why that is and whether it's got strong public support? Well, opinion in Germany has been somewhat polarised. I mean, you're right to say there has been public support for asylum seekers here and there have been many displays of help. There were hundreds of refugees that arrived at Munich's main train station and the police at one point said we're just overwhelmed with the number of local people who have come here offering to help. It's, it's that they found just incredible. But there have also been arson attacks on shelters intended for asylum seekers. So there has been some very serious violence targeting refugees. 
Angela Merkel herself, the German Chancellor, has been very clear about saying that Germany has to be open to helping people who are in need. And of course, Germany's leaders feel that because of their history, they have a special responsibility to help people who are in distress. And the German people, I think, understand that too. The opinion polls certainly show that many people feel very favourably towards refugees. There are reminders in the German press that the Germans were themselves refugees at the end of the Second World War. There were large population movements from Eastern Europe into what we now know as the territory of Germany. So they, they have that historical context. And there is an understanding that Germany is today a prosperous and safe place that has the ability to help others. Do you think that that kind of a consensus is likely to hold if the Germans find that they're well out in front of the other Europeans, as appears to be the case now, and they don't get any help in sharing the burden? Well, Merkel herself is giving very clear leadership and she is not just demanding support from other European countries. She is putting pressure on her own population or challenging perhaps her own population to rise to this challenge and show that they can be, I think her words were, show that Germans can be flexible as well as thorough. I think German public opinion does depend on receiving some support some sense that the rest of the continent is sharing the burden. In Bild, the most popular newspaper here, on Monday there was a headline saying the shirkers of Europe, and there's a big picture of David Cameron on page two of the paper, and it said, you know, these countries, Britain, France and Italy, they must play their part too. And I think over the next few weeks and months we're going to see increasing pressure to start off in places like Bild and then widen to be vocalised by the general population. So we are going to start to see some of that pressure. One of the advantages for Merkel here is that her opposition is very much in disarray. So to her right, there was this party Alternativa for Deutschland, uh, um, a slightly harder right populist party. The Pegida movement that marched in Dresden last year, these movements are sort of dwindling and, and somewhat in disarray at the moment. So she's under less pressure than she could be internally. So Tony, she even makes the point that the Germans now want there to be more of a European approach, totally understandably, one might think. What's the prospects for that? I think they do want that, and I certainly would include Britain among the countries that they expect a better response from, and it's entirely possible that this question would be linked to Germany's attitude to British demands for renegotiation of its membership terms and a better deal on which to present the British public for the vote on staying in or leaving the EU maybe next year or early 2017. So that all these issues are tied together and I think the British government is conscious of that. So I would expect that they'd be giving this some serious thought in London among the larger EU countries, I think there the will be uh, probably some uh, effort to accommodate the German wish to see a more flexible response. If anything, the slightly more awkward position is that which faces small countries in Central and Eastern Europe that don't have any real tradition of migration from outside their borders, particularly non-European emigration to their societies. And I'm thinking of places like Slovakia, Hungary, to a lesser extent Poland. Now, you've already heard politicians in these countries saying things that would be regarded as pretty politically incorrect in Western Europe to the tune that they don't want any migrants at all who are not of Christian background. And this tells you about how the migrant crisis starts touching much deeper chords, I think, in those societies than perhaps it does in larger Western European countries with a broader tradition of migration. Tony makes the point that this is creating a strain on European unity, Jeevan. And one of the real sore points that the Germans have already highlighted, I think both the Interior Minister and Chancellor Merkel, is the question of free movement of people within Europe, borderless Europe, known as the 
Schengen Agreement. How serious do you think the Germans are in raising the question of the reimposition of frontiers within the border-free zone? Well, I think it has been a problem for Germany and it is something that the Germans are worried about. But the Germans are, are deeply committed to Schengen. It's obviously a huge advantage for this open trading nation in the middle of Europe that people and goods should be able to kind of flow through easily and there shouldn't be delays at the borders as there were before the introduction of Schengen. I think that the German feeling is that the Schengen zone can't be maintained ultimately if there isn't a sort of fair sharing of refugees between European countries. But they see this as a way, um, I mean, perhaps a threat is a rather strong way to characterise it, but certainly a sort of tool to use in order to push fellow EU nations towards the goal they have in mind. But just probing a bit on that, isn't in some ways the connection between Schengen and refugees slightly artificial? Because after all, these refugees have made it across far more um, threatening frontiers, whether the Mediterranean or whatever, into Europe. Why do people see this close connection between free movement of people within Europe and the movement of refugees? Well, simply because once a refugee has arrived on the borders of Europe in, in Greece or in Italy, the Schengen zone allows them then to travel, in theory, without hindrance within this borderless zone. Now, of course, in practice, police are still at the borders and that Schengen Agreement doesn't stop police carrying out checks within the border areas, not necessarily at the borders themselves, but within the border areas and and picking up people who are passing through. And there have been people taken off trains because they don't have the right travel documents. So it doesn't necessarily stop policing. But there is clearly a conflict here between the numbers of refugees who are arriving on the borders of Europe and the idea of uh, borderless travel. Now, of course, as, as we know, what's meant to happen is that refugees are supposed to apply for asylum in the first EU country they arrive in, which is Greece, Italy or, or Hungary, most usually. And that just hasn't been happening. These countries are under so much pressure that they're often just shuttling people further north. And that's what's putting the whole system under strain. And Tony, uh, we're coming to the end, but... You know, I referred in the introduction to the crisis on immigration. And I guess those of us who cover foreign affairs, you know, crises come and go. Uh, Last year, we were talking a lot about Russia and Ukraine, not that that's gone away. But do you think this is just the crisis of the day? Or does this feel like a kind of defining issue for Europe for you? It's more than the crisis of the day, because the pent up pressures of enormous numbers of migrants building up in sub-Saharan Africa, the Middle East, uh, Asia, uh, those aren't going to disappear for a very long time. So it's certainly, this is going to be a question with us for many years to come. In that sense, you could compare it perhaps with the Greek debt crisis that never seems to go away either. But I think in another sense, it's got a certain immediacy to it in the sense that borderless travel under the Schengen Agreement is regarded as one of the greatest achievements and advances in European integration of the last 20 to 25 years. And if it were to start cracking apart at the seams, that would be seen as a very, very serious blow to the idea of European unity. So it needs watching closely this issue because it will tell you a lot about the pressures on this cause of European unity. Tony Barber here in London, thank you very much indeed. And thanks also to Jeevan in Berlin. That's it for this week. Until next week, goodbye. If you enjoyed this podcast, you might enjoy the FT's Banking Weekly. It's presented by me, Patrick Jenkins, the financial editor at the FT, and I'm joined by a team and an external guest every week. You can find this every Tuesday at ft.com slash podcasts.